Hi everyone, and welcome to The Nervous Herbalist, a podcast for Chinese medicine practitioners who like herbs and want to learn more about their function, their history, and treatment strategies to use in the clinic. Let's get into it. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Nervous Herbalist, everyone. Uh, my name is Travis Kern, and as usual, I am here with my friend and colleague, Travis Cunningham. And we are here to talk to you today about some exciting herbs that maybe you've been thinking about, seeing, hearing, or maybe you're using yourself. Today we're talking about Chaihu family formulas. Chaihu is perhaps, uh, or maybe that whole family of formulas is perhaps one of the most commonly prescribed family of formulas um, in the famous iterations of Xiao Chaihu Tang, Xiao San, Sin San, Chaihu Shugan San lot of formulas that involve the use of chaihu. Today we wanted to take an opportunity to sort of um, divide the family into two broad groups. Now of course this is not a definitive dive into chaihu. Being one of the most famous and widely used herbs, it can obviously be cut any which way and can be talked about in a lot of different ways. But today we want to help make a distinction in two large case use cases particularly because um, here in Portland that's, you know, spring is, is emerging, we're on the other side of Equinox, and so we start to see a lot of chaihu being used in various ways. And sometimes um, we see chaihu used in ways that maybe are less effective than they could be. And so we wanted to take some time to sort of divide that out. Um, so to kind of begin the conversation, we want to take chaihu family formulas. And when I say chaihu family, I mean formulas that contain chaihu as a major herb. Um, if you take a look at some famous texts that do family work, like Huang Huang's 10 key formula families, you can see the way that he divides up chaihu um, and divide the way he organizes that family himself. But for our purposes today, we want to talk about um, a single division between chaihu tang formulas and formulas that come from chaihu tang and sinisan and the kinds of formulas that are iterative from sinisan. And what we mean by that is, you know, you learn about a formula, an individual formula, and depending on where you go to school and who talked to you about it or where you studied, um, some teachers will point out that a lot of the formulas that we deal with are manifestations of other formulas, modified and changed consistently enough to become their own kind of formula, right? And so we end up naming Shaiyao-san Shaiyao-san, though we need to recognize that in the end it's an extension of Sinisan. Right, so the mm -hmm. conceptual model that begins thinking about how shayasan works and what we do with it begins with the same kind of thinking that involves when to use sinisan and how to use it. Right. And this is true all over the place. I mean, we see iterations of Liu Wei Di Huang Wan, we see iterations of other major formulas that become other famous formulas later on, and sometimes we forget that they began as something else. Yeah, right. So to start today, we want to break it down Let's start in the Chaihu Tang family of Chaihu formulas. And T, why don't you kind of lay out Chaihu Tang as a formula and, and a family and sort of what some of the key factors are there? Right. So when I think of the Chaihu Tang formulas, I think of a very basic pattern that we see all the time in the clinic that has to do with an inability for the body to mobilize chi through the hollow spaces of the body. Um, and when you the, say hollow spaces, what do you mean? The hollow spaces could be pretty much anywhere that isn't a solid organ. 
It could be, um, you know, we hear about this, this idea of pivot areas, right? When we talk about Shaoyang disease. And so the original lines of Shaoyang disease, we have strange taste in the mouth or bitter taste in the mouth, um, soreness or dryness in the throat and dizzy vision. So we have within that, those lines, we have something happening in the mouth and the throat, something happening in the eyes. We later see symptoms of dizziness and potential ringing in the ears. We have temperature fluctuations um, and we have rib side pain. So if we just think about the throat, the eyes, the ears, these are all considered pivot areas. The diaphragm is also considered a pivot area. The um, armpits, the groin are other pivoting areas. Even and the rib side, right? Between back and front. Exactly. Yeah, back and front. Um, and so the way that I think about this is that when we have the circulation of qi that's impeded, it's going to be impeded everywhere, but the places that it's going to show up are the places where the qi has a harder time moving anyway, right? Which are going to be places like if we take, um, if we take a, the forearm, for example, and you look at the circulation of qi and blood through the musculature of the forearm going up, 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 and out, and then you get to the wrist, you see that like when we get to a joint, we have a bunch of stuff in the way in a joint, and that stuff is going to make the qi and blood harder to move through that area naturally. So if there's stagnation that's occurring throughout the whole body, it's going to show itself particularly in the joint space as opposed to the forearm space, if we're using this metaphor. It's also worth noting that sort of physically a lot of your major acupuncture points are found at, yeah, exactly. at joints, uh -huh. right? at elbow, at wrist, at shoulder, right? Various points in the neck, along right. the spinal vertebra. Articulations is where a lot of the classical emphasis was put on moving things, right. changing things. Right. Yeah, exactly. So for a Chai Hutong pattern to take place, there basically has to be some kind of, for, for some reason, the chi of the body is stagnating, right? The chi stagnates and then there's a lot of different ways to explain what hap why the next thing happens the way that it happens. <laughs> I've literally had three different teachers tell me different, explain this dynamic in different ways. But basically when the chi stagnates, uh, heat builds. So whether you choose to explain that by the chi is more like yang and therefore when it stagnates, yang accumulates and then you have heat. That's one explanation. I've also heard people say that when the chi stagnates, the body puts heat into the area to mobilize it. That's mm -hmm. another, that's, an, that's more of like a shen hammer. That's the way that they think of chi stagnation, shen hammer pulse diagnosis. And then another way to think of it is actually that when the chi is moving smoothly, it's actually more related to keeping everything smooth and cool. So when it stops moving smoothly, you see heat accumulate because the chi is no longer presently moving through the area. And the heat that's accumulating is actually the heat that's already there, but is no longer being tempered by the clean movement of chi. Sure. It's interesting that the that middle one is so divergent from the first and the third. Yeah. Because <laughs> right? like the first and the third, I mean, that's, you know, iterations of what I've heard over the years too. It's just sort of like, you know, 
she is a yang thing yes and it will therefore naturally carry yang aspects like right. movement and heat and force right and if it gets stuck in an eddy right in that flow then all of that yang stuff pools there too right right i think it's also worth noting that like thinking about the movement of chi like you said in that third example as a sort of um you know, almost like an evaporative cooling method, right? Like the chi moves exactly. through the body and yeah. it carries the heat and moves it, disperses it, pushes it up through the skin layer, out from right. the surface, pushes it down into the bowel or in, out through the urine. Like that when chi moves, it keeps things evenly regulated. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about Chinese medicine theory. Like the specifics of it in this case, I don't know, matters so much, right? Like when right. chi stagnates, stuff doesn't move properly. And then all kinds of accumulative effects occur. And in this case, heat is almost always an effect from chi stagnation. And right. I should also say blood stagnation and other types sure. of stagnation, yeah. right, lead to heat accumulation. Right. Yeah. So we have the, the chi stagnation is taking place. And for whatever reason, heat is accumulating. And in the chai hutong pattern, heat is accumulating somewhere in the hollow spaces. And the hollow spaces could be anywhere in the body. But particularly what we're going to see is a version of heat accumulation that then flares up and exhausts itself, flares up and exhausts itself. So all of the symptoms that we see described around Xiao Chai Hutong and Xiaoyang disorder have to do with kind of a coming and going, a pivoting this way and a pivoting that way. And the way that we see that as articulated in the pathophysiology is the chi is stagnating, it's heating up, and then the heat flares. And because the heat is the, the heat is flaring because it's a, um, it's the, the, the phrase is like, it's not a true source of heat. It's heat from constraint, as uh, our, our uh, herbal teacher used to say. Um, it exhausts itself at some point and then it swings the other way. So there's this kind of accumulation, a flaring of the ministerial fire, the fire that's not of the emperor, but the minister. It's somewhere outside of the, the, um, the heart. It's not the heart, right? Um, it's flaring and then it's causing symptoms, which could be a huge variety of things. But the, the principal ones we're seeing are going to be um, bitter taste in the mouth or strange taste in the mouth is how I learned to question it out for a patient. Some kind of soreness or dryness, some feeling in the throat, dizziness, right? Dizzy vision. Well, and all of those symptoms, the key factor here that you just described is that they come and go. They come and go. They change. Correct. This is, this is the key thing, right? Because, you know, having a strange taste in the mouth and a dry mouth in and of itself doesn't necessarily indicate right. a Xiaoyang disorder, right? But that these symptoms or other symptoms of any variety come and go because of this flaring and con retracting right. mechanism, right? So like if you have this ball of constraint, at some point the constraint overcomes its boundaries and it flares outward. Right. Just like a solar flare out of the sun or, you know, where I grew up in Louisiana, they have all of these petroleum factories, right? And when mm -hmm. they collect too much of a certain type of flammable gas, they have to burn some of it off. Right. And literally call it a flare. And so yeah. you drive past the factory and there'll just be like a flame like shooting out of the top of it. Yeah. And that's exactly that idea. And then once it's burned off, then it's shut and it goes away. Right? right. So if you were observing in any of these metaphors, right, if you were observing this refinery from far away, you'd see flame for a while, 
and then it would be gone. Right. And then in an undetermined amount of time in the future, flame again, and then it would be gone. Right. So in this case, it's the same thing, right? This constraint is tight and bundled. It blasts outward, manifests in whatever symptoms it happens to be. Right. The classic ones like you mentioned. And then those symptoms fade or become something else, right? They're right. shifting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right. And that's the key element here, right? Yeah. Is the, the alternation. Right. Is the thing that indicates the, the mechanism, the pathomechanism that you're describing. Right. And, and similar to the the um, the chi not moving well in certain spaces that, that tends to be more stuck or harder to move through spaces anyways, we're, we're going to see patterns like this play out during times when the chi has a harder time moving in nature. So mm -hmm. in transition is when we tend to see more difficulty with chi movement, right? If there is difficulty, we're going to see it there especially. Which is perhaps why we notice this pattern often in the transitional times of the year. Exactly. Spring and fall. Exactly. Right, spring and fall. We're right. pivoting between the extremes of winter and summer. Right. Yeah. So how does Chaiyutang, now I'm saying Chaiyutang, but of course, practically speaking, almost everyone's heard of Xiao Chaiyutang. You've probably taken Xiao Chaiyutang. You've probably seen someone taking <laughs> Xiao Chaiyutang. Yeah. Not a lot of people have experience with um, Da Chaiyutang. Right. right. Da Chaiyutang is... The, the other formula. Yep. So you've got the big Chaiyutang, Da mm -hmm. Chaiyutang, and little Chaiyutang, mm -hmm. Xiao Chaiyutang. Um, so maybe, maybe help us understand... How this this pair of formulas, if we think of them as a pair, work on this Shaoyang pivot, and then what's the difference? Why do we see so much more Shao Chaoyutang than Da in, in the world? We see well, it might it might be different in different places in the world, right? We sure. we see our our patterns here, but so Da Chaoyutang is is a key dif difference uh, from Shao Chaoyutang because in Da Chaoyutang you also have a Yang Ming aspect to things. So there's a dryness um, in the middle that's taking place, causing usually the symptom of constipation. So the ministerial fire, again, we have chi stagnation, the flaring of fire, and the way that the fire is flaring in this case is going to be to zap the fluids of Yang Ming, which is going to cause the symptom of constipation. And specifically... Like dry, dry constipation. constipation. Yeah. Yeah, Not just a reduction in frequency, but the stool itself is correct. harder and drier. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Which accounts for why there's Da Huang in that formula. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Da Huang and Jershir. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting about that formula is that you have an increased dosage of Shengjiang, right? And then you also have um, the removal of Ganzao. Right. And you would think, like, why would you remove Gansao from Da Chaihutang? Right. Um, but Gansao, we'll see uh, in the Sinisan structure here in a minute that Gansao is used specifically to moderate um, wood fr from controlling earth. And in this case, we actually want to strengthen the function, we want to warm. Um, and pungently disperse earth as well. So we want both the ability for descending to take place in a Da Chai Hutong pattern, but we don't want to cool off the middle jiao too much. We actually want to warm the middle jiao, which is why there's more of an emphasis on the Shengjiang and the um, and removal of, of Gansao. Right, because in this case, we want to 
activate, we want to leverage basically wood's ability to, to force earth. Correct. Right? Um, because the real thing that we're dealing here is this constraint pattern. Correct. That we're talking about. And the flaring in this case for Da Chayutang, the flaring has parched Yangming fluids. And so now we can see in stomach and in large intestine then a dryness, a hardness that we're trying to purge. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, obviously then key factors for Da Chayutang are this hard dry stool. Yep. Right. Um, but if this flaring that you've described manifests in other ways, of course, Xiao Chayutang is the big lifter there. Right. Mm-hmm. But of course, I think maybe a lot of people think of Xiao Chayutang as a cold and flu formula because we see that sure. a lot because, of course, it can be. Right. But what are maybe some of the other kinds of symptomology that aren't cold and flu where yeah. Xiao Chayutang would be relevant? So a good one coming up for us right now seasonally is seasonal allergies. Mm-hmm. It's a massively useful formula for seasonal allergies because, again, one way to view seasonal allergies is an inability for the body to pivot from one season to another. And though there can be root causes to that, uh, to the reason somebody's having allergies, the acute thing that often needs to be addressed is the body needs to help transition from one space to another. And the way that works physiologically is with the movement of qi and the movement of body fluids. It's an important distinction too, like you said, you know, a lot of people who have allergies writ large, like you'll meet patients, right? And they'll be like, you know, they'll, they'll self-describe like, oh, I'm super allergic. I take lots of Claritin. I'm allergic right. to everything. Yeah. Food, things in the air. Yeah. You know, other people's emotions. I'm just like super allergic, right? Yeah. It's, it's this thing that people will describe. <laughs> and of course, if that's the case, if you have someone who's just like in their own experience are sort of hyper allergic, there's without doubt a deeper constitutional issue that's creating that circumstance. But in the short run usage, right, right now in March or April or May, hay fever, pollen, yeah. all of those classic allergic symptoms, Xiao Chayutang is very likely to be something that you can employ with great success, if for no other reason, just at the most basic level, that there's their allergies, these kinds of allergies are seasonal, which means right. by definition, they come and go. They come and go. Exactly. Right? And and they occur at the pivot point in the year. So right. you're if you're if you're running a checkbox, like a checklist <laughs> for things that count as Xiaoyang, mm-hmm. right? Even at the most macro level, that the the illness presentation comes and goes and that it happens at the pivot points of the year are big check marks for the use of Xiao Chayutang. Absolutely. Now that doesn't necessarily mean, right, though, that Xiao Chayutang is also going to get at the core reason that they have problem pivoting. Right. Right. In fact, right. the Xiao Chayutang facilitates the pivot. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily address why they're having a problem pivoting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think that's an important distinction because some people might hear like, oh, Xiao Chayutang for allergies. It's like, well, yes. I mean, classically Chinese medicine, right? Yes and no. Right. Right. Sure. Yes, absolutely. It deals with the symptoms of allergies. We prescribe it for that all the time. But once you get the symptoms under control, a much deeper dive into any host of formulas that yes, could be used to correct. deal with the underlying problem. Absolutely. Which could be anything from, you know, middle jaw deficiency and damp accumulation, fluid metabolism, right. to kidney yang deficiency and mm-hmm. predominant cold. I mean, it could be a lot of things, yeah. right, for sure. Okay, so we've got this idea of Shaoyang. We've got this idea of pivot. Um, we know that constipation is a key indicator for da chai hutang when mm-hmm. trying to deal with the shaoyang presentation 
on the Shao Chaiutang side, what are the key, you know, give us maybe the, the top three or four indicators that say to you, oh yeah, Shao Chaiutang. So a lot of the way that I like to start off treatments, like if I had one single formula that I would use, that if I could only use one formula for every person that came through the, the clinic for a whole host of variety of problems, if I could only pick one formula, it would be Shao Chaiutang. Um, and a lot of the way that I'll use it will be to modify it or to add another formula into it, but I will still use it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's an amazingly useful formula. And the key symptoms that you would be looking for would be the key symptoms from the lines, right? We already mentioned those, the something going on in the throat, something, some strange taste in the mouth, dizziness or the predilection for dizziness. Mm -hmm. But if you have those, and if the person has like two or three, that's pretty good indication that you can use it. If they don't have those though, you can still use it, but you want things to be justified a little more specifically. So you would want to see a tendency toward wiriness in the pulse, for example, would, is a pretty good indication. Um, you want to see constraint. Um, if you do abdominal palpation, you could see tenderness underneath the rib side is a really good indication for the need for a chai hutong structure. Um, alternating temperature patterns. So anything where the temperature gets hot and then it gets cold, or the person has a hard time regulating, um, hot flashes can be uh, addressed a lot of the time with a chai hutong structure, but not even hot flashes, like you can have acute onset cold and flu, right? Where there's some kind of temperature change between hot and cold a person can chronically just not feel very comfortable, like their body can't regulate temperature-wise very well, so they find themselves often putting on clothes and then taking off clothes, or you can see it at different times during the day. A lot of the time when people are trying to go to bed, they won't be able to regulate their temperature. I go under the covers and then I'm too hot and then I pull off the covers and then I'm too cold. So there's temperature differences that are a key symptom you also typically have some kind of vexation. So vexation is a, is a word that we take from the classics, which means something like irritability, something like, I don't know, just constraint or stress or- Don't any... you love the fact that like vexation couldn't possibly be a less useful- Yeah, right. Like, which is, is why- the, Is the patient experiencing vexation? Yeah. And like, what? Yeah, exactly. Like this is one of those things like, I understand, you know, my- my undergraduate backgrounds in linguistics and language, right? So like, I, I understand the translator's desire to be accurate and specific in representing what the Chinese, the classical Chinese means in English, but like really yeah. vexation. Right. I mean, I guess you got to use a lot of other words is the trouble, right? Because vexation is a complex sort of emotional presentation yeah. that could look like a lot of things. So if you're out there and you like hear stuff like vexation or like other kind of clumsy, in my opinion, clumsy translations of classical phrases like, you know, instead of excess and deficiency, you'll hear the repletion. <laughs> and uh, what's the what's the other one? Re uh, it's gosh, replete and, and uh, um, gosh, I can't even remember now. See, this is how much I've purged it from my yeah, mind. But it's, no, it's the other one. I'm it's a like hard when people are doing like um, 
translations in the in the sort of Wade Giles days, like before Pinyin, you'd see these other uses of words, right? And you're just like replete, like this. It's a repletion pattern, and you're like, no one uses the word repletion. Right. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like excessive deficiency is a much better translation, even if like in a pure translate meaning point of view it's not quite as accurate right vacuity that's vacuity, the word yeah how dumb is that word right vacuity yeah like oh come on <laughs> right so even if deficiency is less technically accurate than the word vacuity there's an important need to make your own terminology for your own thinking practical right yeah. like and look if you're out there and you're like i love repletion and vacuity i'm sorry to have insulted your sense of like decorum and aesthetic but i don't think that generally speaking is a very accessible term right. right and that there is value in finding terminology that's accessible right so if you have you know if, if you're out there thinking vexation like don't worry there are a lot of different ways to think about the word vexation but relative to this conversation it is an important differentiating factor like when you're looking at the list of of things to confirm your suspicion absolutely that this is a xiaoyang issue you've got this vexation category where you can place any number of emotional sort of presentations that will qualify. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So like, just to go on a little bit, insomnia, anxiety, uh, any kind of like so many different presentations for women's health, mm -hmm. it, you know, those kinds of issues. There's so many things that oftentimes require using a harmonizing formula, the chief of which is Xiao Chai Hutang, before we get into anything else. So if somebody has kidney yang deficiency, very clearly kidney yang deficient pattern for me, and I feel their pulse and by their symptoms, I can tell on top of that pattern, there's a constraint pattern. I'm gonna treat the constraint pattern before I treat the kidney deficiency pattern. Yeah, for right. Sure. Um, because otherwise, the likelihood that you'll be able to successfully get to the kidney pattern yeah. with constraints sitting on top of it, like how is the pattern of your herb going to reorient the deep-seated pattern of this bigger problem, exactly. this kidney young problem, if there's constraint at the, at the upper layer? Exactly. There's and, just no way to do it. And if we add fire to the system and there's already fire flaring, we run the risk of flaring the fire more yeah rather than clearing and smoothing everything out first and then when everything's calm and died down that's when we add more resources to the physiology absolutely yeah i mean this is like trying to deal with digestive problems by like just going at the root issue when people can't digest anything right right it's like no that's not that's not going to work like right. you can't get there yeah right there's too much stuff in the way okay so we have a sense now of Chaiyu family, Chaiyu Tang formulas, right? Da yep. and Shao, Chaiyu Tang, and their key importance in this very, very commonly seen clinical presentation of Xiaoyang syndrome, which we think of as problems with the pivot, right? Yep. Constraint problems that prevent the smooth transition from one state to another state, right? Yep. And that the if there is a key indicator for Xiaoyang syndrome, it's alternation. Yeah. In its alternation in is its presentation huge. in in whatever regard. Right. If you have things that come and go, you need to be looking at Xiaoyang problems as a, right. as a way to confirm your diagnosis. So let's compare. So let's let's transition over then to the other large 
family inside of Chaihu. Maybe we'll call mm-hmm. it a subfamily. So we have sure. Chaihu family, and then we've got some subfamilies here. We've got the Chaihu Tong subfamily, and now we're looking at Sinisan yeah. subfamily. Sinisan, of course, uh, translation translated into English often as frigid extremities powder. Yeah. Um, as the name would suggest, for people who have cold hands and feet. Right. right. And, you know, remarkably, cold hands and feet as a symptom are a great place to to be like, oh, I should probably look at Sinisan. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Because yeah. it turns out that the kind of constraint that causes cold hands and feet is often addressed by Sinisan. So we've just been talking about constraint in the context of a Shaoyang syndrome. Now we're talking about constraint in a different context, still qi constraint, yeah. but it looks different here. It's not Shaoyang-y. What, what's the difference? How do we understand that we're now we're in a, a different realm of constraint? Yeah. So the basic difference, the way that I like to think of it is externalization versus internalization constraint. So a a Chai Hutong pattern would be an externalization of constraint where you have fire flaring up and out, causing some kind of problem. With Sinisan, the constraint happens in the interior. So you don't have like upward rushing symptoms really with a Sinisan pattern you have the chi that's getting constrained and the way that I usually think of it is in the abdomen. Like there's literally a chi constraint that's taking place in the abdomen. The chi is not moving out well enough to get to the periphery fully. So um, we don't- Which gives us the classic cold hands and feet. Correct, yeah, yeah. The cold hands and feet. But it's this kind of cold hands and feet, you'll find pe- um, people will say, if you have a sinning tongue pattern, Right with Futsa, Ganjang, Jirgansao, this pattern to differentiate from Sinisan. The hands in Sinisan will not be as cold as they will be in a Sinitang or a Dangwe Sinitang formula pattern. Um, so usually what they'll say is the hands, the fingers are cold in a Sinisan pattern, whereas the hands are cold in a Sinitang pattern and the cold reaches all the way up to the wrists and beyond with a Dangwe Sinitang pattern. In truth, my in my own clinical experience, the problem is you can have patterns layered on top of each other. Yeah, so so like you can have a Sinisan pattern and underneath have deficiency cold at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then the the hands are gonna be like way colder, but you can still use the Sinisan. You know, you probably and should use the Sinisan to treat. Start yeah, Sinisan is a good is another good starting formula. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to think of Sinisan as a Swiss Army knife because you can put Sinisan in, and then you can plug and play um, different herbs, different formulas. You can add, subtract. You can do all these kinds of beautiful things with the formula to address a ton of different conditions. And I think it is worth noting that Sinisan in itself, in and of itself, is a combination of formulas. So we already have in Sinisan Xiaoyao Gansao Tang, which is our key formula for spasmodic cramping, right? And people have spasmodic cramping in a whole number of conditions, but it's the key formula for um, the first thing that I think of it for anyway is painful menstruation that has a cramping nature that it feels like oh that's tight and it cramps and then it kind of 
it goes back and forth. It feels like there's something squeezing, like that kind of pain. It's absolutely the most effective formula to Shaya Gansatang. Shaya Gansatang, right. which could be seen inside of a sinisan, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. One of the reasons that, it, you know, it's interesting to think about how, like, where do we draw the line between stacked formulas, right? Because Shaya Gansatang is one of the smaller Chinese medicine formulas, right? I mean, it's right. just it's just the two herbs in right. one, right? What is it, twice or three times by Shao to... Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the original dosage is. I know people play around with it. Um, yeah, it's just more than. Yeah. Yeah, they shouldn't be equal, right? Like the Shaya should be greater than the Gansa. Um, but, you know, a lot of times we joke, you and I joke a lot too. We're like, you know, this is a new formula and it'll be like EE Futsa. What was that? Bai Jungsan. Bai EE Futsa Bai Jungsan. What's in that? Oh, it's EE Ren Futsa Bai Jungsan. It's like, is that really a name for a formula? I mean, that'd be like, that'd be like saying, like, it's not a hamburger. It's like a beef lettuce tomato bun sandwich. Right. Right. Like, that's like, what, what are you talking about? But right. in this case, Shio Gansao Tang is like mechanically yeah. is a really important component of what's happening inside of, of Sinisan. Even though we're thinking about Sinisan as a Chaihu family formula, because right. it certainly is, it integrates this even more. Um, a, a tinier sort of module within itself. Right. right? So um, also I just want to note for the listeners too, you've heard us say Sinisan and Sinitang. Despite the similarity in the name, Sinitang is not a Chaihu family formula. Right? right. Travis mentioned the ingredients there a second ago. Yeah. Um, Futsu, Ganjiang, Jirgansa. Exactly. So, so very, three very herbs different. in there. Not, not a Chaihu family formula, but relevant for devastated young cold yes right? that's that's in the system very important which by the way is often a secondary or uh maybe even a tertiary effect of chronic chi stagnation that's not managed mm-hmm. right like you can find that presentation mm-hmm. but i just wanted to point that out so we're talking about sinisan which is a chaihu family formula sinitang a different formula though very important all right so within sinisan we've got shio gansao tang yeah so that's bai shao and Gansau, right which you mentioned has the softening effect right. right this loosening spasmatic stuff you mentioned the menstrual cramps mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of spasmatic cramping is really well affected by by shio Gansau tang right mm-hmm. because you have an interesting interplay of flavors why don't we since we're talking about it inside a sinisan why don't you talk a little bit about the flavor aspect of shio yeah. Gansau tang and how it actually softens musculature yeah. so um we have in Xiaoyao a sour flavor and in Gansao a sweet flavor. So we're combining sweet and sour. And sweet and sour is our magic combination from the Neijing to transform yin. So if we want to build yin in any way, shape, or form, we're going to use sweet and sour. If uh, we want to build yang, right, the magic combination is sweet and pungent or sweet and acrid. So those are kind of the two like two flavor combinations from the Neijing that are important to remember. So it's like uh, sweet and sour chicken versus general so's chicken. <laughs> right. That's what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Sweet and sour yes. versus uh, Huang, sweet and Huang Di would be, would be very proud that we're... Absolutely. We're, we're, Actually, uh, you can really just understand your Chinese medicine through a Panda Express menu mm-hmm. is, really, is really what you got. Sorry, I just... <laughs> hearing the phrase sweet and sour in the context of like a Chinese thing, I just immediately... Just had to jump into the that's it. Express menu, so well, go. and you know, I've had, 
I've had somebody told me a story. Um, he's a teacher at PCOM. One of his students uh, usually takes Xiaoyagan Satong around her menses because she tends to have menstrual cramping. And the Xiaoyagan Satong works very well for her. But one time she was studying and busy and didn't have, just forgot about it, right? Didn't have the herbs up oh, and there it comes. It's coming on and it's starting to get pretty intense. And she actually um, took, I think it was, she had lemons in her house. So she squeezed some lemon juice and she had like some candies, some little like tiny candies. I don't know what they were, but she drank this lemon juice with the candies and her cramping got better. Really? So just with this, yeah, like with this idea of flavor and nature so being an alchemical combination, like information that we're giving to the body. Actually, when we give an herbal formula, we're telling the body to do something, do this, right? Really changes kind of our point of view on what's inside of the herbs. What are the chemical constituents? It's actually the flavors that are telling the body mm. how to articulate a point of physiology. Um, and I, I just, I thought that was kind of cool. Um, it's incredibly cool. Yeah. I mean, it's a, although I guess I'll say too, like if anybody's ever brewed up Baishao on its own, it's not like lemons. You know no, no, I mean? no. Like the love, yeah, the yeah, yeah. sour in Baishao yeah. is frankly challenging to detect. It's mild. Like if you, yeah, if it's you pretty mild. brew up a bunch of Baishao, in fact, in some ways, I actually think it's easier. This is going to sound weird to folks, but for those of you who don't know this yet, I have a really strong nose. Like I can differentiate yeah, things by smell. Yeah, he does. And so I think it's actually easier to smell the sour. Yes, in I a do bag too. Bag of baishao. Like you just put your 100%. face in a freshly opened bag of baishao. You can smell the sour better than it is to taste it. I mean, it's there, right. but you got to really train that palate to to taste it. It's not like lemon juice. Right. But that's an interesting mechanic. I mean. This idea that the flavor carries the messaging, right? It's interesting. You know, we, we spend so much time um, in the modern world understanding pharmacokinetics, right? Mm -hmm. Pharma pharmaceutical mechanisms and the interaction between chemicals and the body. Um, because, you know, that's, that's how biomedicine wants to think about the world, right? That everything is a mechanical interaction. And what's interesting is that even in that context, there's a lot of use, for example, the word messenger, like a chemical messenger, like, oh, this chemical carries this signal to this right. transmitter, which then facilitates this product, right? Right. And while Chinese medicine and herbs don't at all, I think, work in that way, in terms of synapses and chemistry and this sort of thing, the flavor and the combination of flavors in a finished formula are a composite messenger yes a, a communicator carrying a message into the body that says things should be laid out like this yes right and the way that i think about that often is in terms of pattern right because we always think of like you know we're trained to to up, right to like do right. the, the pattern differentiation what's the pattern what's the pattern and in that line of thinking then an herbal formula a composite herbal formula with all of its various single herbs and all of its various dosage creates a complex web, a pattern, that we then overlay on top of the patient's current physiology. Right. Like what does it look like? And by making that pattern in our herbs robust and targeted and aligned appropriately with the 
sort of illness pattern that the patient has, we can tug that illness pattern toward the pattern of our formula and align them. Yes. Right? And when those two things fall into alignment, the patient feels better. The herbal formula continues to direct the body in a particular direction. And now things are working like they ought to. Right. And so if that's a messenger, if that's a pattern, if that's an image, like whatever the, the sort of sort of cognitive intellectual space you need to occupy in order to understand what's happening that is the mechanism right right? like we are redirecting the function the physiology of a human body or really a living body because i use herbs on my pets for example um (laughs) yep in many ways it's actually much easier to use herbs on dogs (laughs) Um, we can talk about that later but anyway um i think it's important to think about it that way yes if you spend too much time trying to figure out what the active component of chaihu is for example it will not make you a better herbalist no i'm gonna say that definitively yeah definitely not it won't like knowing that there there are 423 identifiable compounds in chaihu and these four are at the highest concentration so if we took out an extract you know what's chaihu in in english it's uh so the what are we going to call its active ingredient like blueparensis right so like we'll just name the blueparites yeah the blueparites are very high in the chaihu so we're gonna go ahead and make a uh, a concentrated extract of blueparites if you take this one capsule you'll get more blueparites than you could consume if you ate 3300 pounds of chaihu right y'all that's not gonna help Ugh. like that's not helpful like Stop it with the concentrated supplements. Stop it with the herb extracts. Uh-huh. There's no artistry in that. There's no elegance to that design, right? Like, oh, saw palmetto is good for men's health. Let me just take some saw palmetto. What? Why? What about it is good for men's health? Like, right. what's the problem being corrected? What is the pattern of saw palmetto that needs to be overlaid on top of your pattern yep. in order to facilitate change? Like, yep. There is no none of that sophistication in that kind of sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of, what, what do you call it, like nutraceutical, biopharmaceutical, organoceutical, whatever, yeah. insert whatever trendy word you want to talk about, which means taking chemicals out of plants, right, and trying to make them work. It's more complicated than that. It's not just a chemical. Um, so I just, I want to put that out into everyone's thinking that, Part of the reason that we do this this show actually is to not just talk about the way that herbs work, but to help all of you who are interested in using more herbs develop strategies to improve the way you think about these things. Right? Yes. Because it's it's not a vending machine, right? It's not a plug and play. Like, oh, they've got alternating symptomology, so chayutang for sure. I mean, like, yeah, that's probably a great place to start, but there's more to it than that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and having a sense of what that more is is really important. So, right. Again, so on the flavor issue then, so we've yeah. got, like you said, we've got the sour, we've got the sweet, yeah. softens the tissues. Right. Right. And sweet is, according to the Neijing, again, from a five-phase point of view, if we want to look at it from that perspective, sour is the flavor that does, well, it tonifies metal, but it also reduces wood directly, mm-hmm. right? Um, sweet tonifies earth. So in this case, because of what we're looking at, we're looking at um, when we see Xiaoyao Gan Satong mentioned uh, in the Shanghan Lun, we see it mentioned under 
a chapter where it talks about hypertonicity in the legs, some kind of cramping that's taking place in the legs. Now, in reality, you can see cramping taking place anywhere in the body. If a muscle is cramping or if it's spasming, it has wind, right? So a muscle, right, we, we learned like the tissue layers according to the five phases, muscles are associated with earth. If we have wind inside of earth, we have wood overacting onto earth. So the basic formula, the most basic formula to treat wood overacting on earth is Shaoyaogansatang because we have a sweet flavor which tonifies earth, moderates earth, or uh, tonifies earth. And we have um, sweet flavor also moderates wood, believe it or not. So there's both a tonification of earth and a moderation of wood. And there's a line that says, um, if, the, if wood suffers from excess, eat sweet swiftly to calm it is what the Neijing says. So it actually says to use the sweet version, the sweet flavor first, if there's, mm. if there's a problem with, with excess wood. And then the sour is going to help increase that effect at controlling, making sure wood doesn't get out of hand. Um, and so that's the basic combination of the sweet and the sour. We're working on restraining, or, or restraining wood um, and solidifying earth. Yeah. So that is now, you know, the reason we took the time to talk about that is because, of course, those two herbs are inside of Sinisan. Mm-hmm. Sinisan, the other two herbs, of course, being Chaihu and Jershur. Right. So now, you know, we've got Chaihu in the mix here. Jershur is in the mix. And those two herbs together have a different effect mm-hmm. um, than, of course, the interaction between Baishao and Gansao do. Right? right. So let's talk about kind of what those two herbs are like and then combine it all into one formula and understand like, okay, how does the formula work together yeah. with all four? So the other, f- the other mini formula, before we get to that, the other mini formula inside of Sinisan is Jirsha Shaoyasan, which is a formula that's in the Jingwe, which is surprisingly, or no surprise, just Jirsha and Shaoyao. Imagine, imagine <laughs> my shock. <laughs> and it's in there for postpartum abdominal pain. Uh, and it says the patient has vexation fullness and an inability to lie down so describing some kind of cramping that's taking place in the abdomen and there is likely it doesn't say this but there's often likely some minor constipation involved in this pattern um so i would like to offer in this case too since we talked about vexation before that i think it's helpful to think about vexation as the patient is bothered yes like bothered they're just bothered right like it's you know because it's possible to have these kinds of symptoms because you know it's funny anytime you read a classic text or even a modern one you know like a machiocho or a bensky or whatever the symptoms always sound so severe right right like oh my god could you imagine like you're you're dizzy and you're vomiting and abdominal pain like Uh it just sounds like the worst disease yeah yeah yeah. craziness but it is actually possible for patients to have all those symptoms but in a way that actually doesn't bug them because it's not that serious right and so vexation is a, again, it's a terrible word, but like if the patient is bothered, like yeah. they're agitated, they're irritated, they're, they're anxious, like any of these words that say like these symptoms are happening and I'm not just like going to work anyway because like whatever, it's not that big a deal. Like, right. No, vexation is now in play and that's a key, key component to work in here. Right. 
And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean, of course, the patient could be ignoring their symptoms and maybe they should be bothered. And what about tolerance? Right. Like, you don't need to parse it that far. Right. It's just, are they bugged about yeah. it or not? Right. Are and they bothered or are they hot and bothered? Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Like, what's what's the deal? So I think that's a good way to think about vexation because you're going to, any person who studies herbs and does through, does it through a classical approach is going to come across this translation all the time. Yes. Vexation, vexation, vexation. Yeah, no, well, good. That's a good point of clarification. So, Jersha Shaoya sounds also in the formula, and Shaoya, we have the same. We already talked about that sour flavor. Shaoya is also considered bitter in some texts. Mm. So, typically, I think of it easier to look at classical formulas and then and then assign ascribe one flavor to them just for my own understanding like how was this doctor using this particular herb in this case mm -hmm. versus other cases so that's that's just the thing that i like to use to help me understand it so in this case i think shaoya is also being used for its sour flavor and jersher is being used for its bitter flavor and bitter has a descending effect. Bitter does three things according to the Neijing. It um, reduces earth. It it can do three things, I guess is what I should say. Mm -hmm. It um, can reduce earth. It can descend metal. And it can tonify the water phase. Okay. So in this in this particular case, um, the way that I understand it is it's it's descending metal. Right. So there's a kind of stuckness and cramping in the in the intestines. Metal is what descends. Right. So you're using the bitter flavor to help articulate descent. And Jersher, I mean, Jersher is a strong herb. Yes. One of the things that um, I always like to point out to So Jersher and Jerka are the same fruit. Mm -hmm. But Jersher is a, a little green one, a little yeah. tiny green one. If you've ever seen Jersher in a bulk pharmacy, really good Jersher is really quite small, like kind of kind of the size of like a large shooting marble yeah. in a lot of ways. And when you see it in the pharmacy, it's usually been chowed. So it's been cooked, right? So these tiny little green oranges. Also, if you've ever seen like a citrus tree, the fruit come out in tiny little round green yeah. circles. They're picked at that stage and then they're split in half and then they're chowed right so they're dry fried until mm -hmm. they're cooked now even despite the fact that they've been really heavily toasted if you open a bag of jersher mm -hmm. the smell is overwhelmingly citrus yes it's bright yes it's potent yes it's like if you if you peeled a even a fresh orange under your nose from the grocery store it's the jersher is twice that yeah that kind of potency the right the movement of jersher is apparent in its smell absolutely and it's incredibly uh bitter yeah like very bitter it's a it's a it's a raw baby fruit yeah right? so it is both acrid and bitter and it's been chowed like imagine yes. if you had it just like straight off the tree like it would be even more intense right? oh yeah compared to jerka which is the fruit once it's been matured right, right? so we actually brought the fruit to maturity it's still a bitter orange meaning like not like a table orange right like you wouldn't you would never find a jerka or antium like in the grocery store, right? Because it just doesn't taste good. Yeah. Um, so you're not going to like, you know, make fruit salad out of it. But even still, that more matured fruit, just by the nature of being further along in its life process, is not as forceful as jerker is. Right? right. Still descending, still moving downward, all of those kinds of things, but not with the same 
punch right. that you get out of Tertiary. Right. So I like to point out to people, there's a lot of herbs that we use are all from the same plant, different yep. parts of the plant or different different points in its life cycle. And I think it's helpful to think about that. Like if you were going to modify a formula, for example, that had Jerka in it or Jershirt in it, and why might you trade one out for the other? Yep. Like, is there a situation in which you might need to have a different effect? And yep. so it's nice to know which things are connected to each other. Right. So you can kind of draw that extension. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we now have a sense of the two sub-formulas that are yep. inside of Sinisan. Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about the whole composition. So right. now we've got Chai Hu in there. So we've got Chai Hu, Jershur, Bai Shao, Jirgan Sao. Right. So Chai Hu is a fascinating herb in terms of its functions. It's very unique. And um, there's disagreement about it, uh, both in time and in practice. Um, in As the, in, over time, people have said different things about it. Over time, people have said different things about it. And one of the key things that is debated is its flavor. So in the Shenong Ben Sao Jing, Chai Hu is considered bitter and neutral. It's not considered pungent. When we learned it in school, or cool. we or cool. In school, we learned accurate and cool, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and also, you'll hear us use accurate, sometimes also pungent. Pungent and accurate, we're using synonymously. Yeah, the same thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. So with uh, Chai Hu's function, I've heard it explained in a number of ways. We have kind of three good different formulas that people use Chai Hu with commonly. So those and at different dosages. So the other thing that you see is that herbs functionality can differ depending on the dosage. Sometimes it can be different depending on how you dose it. In a Shao Chai Hu Tong structure, you're using Chai Hu around 24 grams, or at least I do. That's the ratio dosage that I always use, 24 grams of Chai Hu, um, which is a lot. That's a good, that's a good strong dose of Chai Hu. Now, when we're doing that, we're articulating a movement in the body. This is how I think of it. I think of Chai Hu as bitter. Um, the way that I learned to think of the function of Chai Hu is that because this is a weird, weird way to talk about it, but this is what it, how it was explained to me. Chai Hu is bitter and it's neutral in temperature. Therefore, neutral is the least... Uh, the least yang nature so this is one way that it was explained so if you can follow bitter and neutral neutral is the least yang flavor or uh, sorry nature and therefore the least because it's the least imposing like it has no quality it has no quality exactly yeah Yeah. so when something is neutral and it sometimes has an opposing effect to what would typically be thought of for that flavor. Does that make sense? So because it, it can't assert itself through right. through nature. So bitter, we would typically think of like according to the Neijing, bitter drains, dries, or makes firm. That's what yeah. the Neijing says about bitter. But for Chai Hu, it's bitter and neutral, therefore it's bitter, but it's going to lift. And we think of Chai Hu as lifting and then at some point, once it reaches kind of the surface, it kind of goes the other way and then descends. That's how I was taught to think of it. Mm-hmm. Now, other people will say different things. I had one teacher who used to say Chai Hu is just lifting, 
That's what he would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you can imagine that that lifting motion is where we get a lot of the acrid. The pun- yeah, exactly. Like the, the acrid and, concept of its of its flavor. And if we look at different formulas throughout history, Sha Chaihutong being the first, right? And then further along, we have Shaoyasan, uh, right? Where we would use fewer grams of Chaihu typically than we would in Sha Chaihutong, mm-hmm. like maybe half the dose, mm-hmm. 9 to 12 or something like that. And then in Bujong Ichitong, we're going to use even fewer, you know, 1 to 6 maybe. Yeah. Right. And so the decrease in dosage of Chaihu is articulating the yin and yang component of Chaihu. Any kind of dosage is articulating yin and yang, right? So if we dose something h- higher, we're emphasizing the yin component of the herb, the flavor of the herb, and we're emphasizing a specific function that it has. So in Shao Chaihu Tang, we're Heart, we're trying to harmonize Xiaoyang by lifting with the Chaihu and then dis, and then bringing it in. We're trying I mean, to articulate the full pivot. Yeah, you're mimicking the pivot. You're mimicking the yeah, pivot. Chaihu is used here to mimic the pivot, to set that pattern. Absolutely. So that way the other herbs work in coordination with that and the body right. moves into the pivot, actually embraces right. it. And keep in mind that we're also pairing it with Huangqin, which is another bitter herb that's mm-hmm. cold that's going to have a much more clear descending function. Yeah. So we're going to have a lifting and descending with Chaihu, and we're going to have a descending of Huangqin. Um, with uh, the Sinisan structure, we have a descent, we have a more proper descent that's taking place from the Jersher. So we have a more lifting quality of the Chaihu, but then we also have a descending quality, and then we really have a stronger descending quality of the Jersher. Mm-hmm. Um, so when yeah. you're if you're comparing Sinisan to Xiao Chaiutang yeah. in this space, like what we're talking about here, Xiao Chaiutang because of the way Huangqin and Chaihu interact, yeah, we end up with this lifting, descending, lifting, descending, this thing that is the pivot, yeah, right. Whereas because of the forceful nature of the Jersher, mm-hmm. right, that we see in Sinisan, and also because the dosage is different mm-hmm. um, yep. as well, definitely. right? So we have a smaller dose of chaihu. Yeah. So that means we're not necessarily emphasizing the 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 strength of the it, strength of it, right? Yeah. That that explosive and then retreat quality of chaihu. Yep. It means that the force of the jersher is going to move things down. Right. Right. And so sinisan is going to well, and this is how I think about it. I think about it as a circulating formula. Right. In terms of like it's going to take things that are stuck. Yes. And push them out yes. to the extremities. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, this can sometimes be a little challenging for people to think about because if you think of that stuckness in the middle, and we're going to say that the formula moves down, mm-hmm. right? You might think that that only counts to your legs, right? To your mm. feet, right? But I, I want to help. I think there's some helpful way to think about it. One of the, the key components is that down, yes, is from your middle down to your lower jaw to your feet, right? But out to your extremities on your hands is also very much a down movement. True. I think, yeah. right? I mean, we think of it laterally. Sure. Maybe your hands are above your head, right? Sure. I think it's also worth pointing out that... Um, this is where, and I will admit freely that this is where it can get confusing for people who are who are new to thinking about it in this way, right? Because you're like, wait, 
is it down or is it lateral? Yeah. Like, is it, yeah. is it out? Is it in? We're putting all this emphasis on bitter and this idea of downward force, but yeah. now we're talking about it going to your hands, but also your feet. I think there's a couple of important factors here. One, as you've already mentioned, in the Sinisan pattern, the cold feet is more significant than the cold hands. Yeah, and I, I would say too that the, like Chai Hutong's pattern, you're not you're going to have a, a flaring of fire right. somewhere. Right, right. There's going to be heat somewhere. In a Sinisan pattern, if there's heat, it's always only in the intestinal tract. Yeah. Like you can have a little bit of damp heat right. in a Sinisan pattern. Whereas a Chai Hutong pattern, the heat is going to be in the periphery. It's going to be up in the face. It's going to be mm-hmm. in the throat. Mm-hmm. It's going to be temperature changes. Mm-hmm. You can have nausea, right, in a right, Chai right. Hutong pattern. You can't really have nausea in a Sinisan pattern. There's nothing right. to address that. Right. There. There'd be no reason to use Sinisan if you had nausea. Right. Yeah. I, I don't, I guess I mean not so much in the comparison between Sinisan and Chai Hutong, but just in sort of like understanding that when I take Sinisan, it can help the chi constraint and therefore make the chi move into your hands and your feet. True. Even though yeah. it's moving downward. Right. Quote unquote. So like how am I supposed to think about that? Right. Right. I think it's also worth noting that citrus, all the citruses, including even Chen Pi, which is a different a different ball of wax, but all the citruses have a kind of woody movement to them. Yeah. The way they smell, the way they act in the body. And when I say woody I wish I, I wish this wasn't just an, an audible and an auditory medium, but like, you know, fire moves up and out. Right? Yes. It's got this fountain maneuver. Right. And like water moves down and right. out. Right. Like it's, it's like the opposite, the fountain up and the drain down. Yeah. Right? And then metal has this constraining quality, this sort of boundaries that hold and create space. And wood pushes against that in all directions. Yes. Right. So it's not just up or down, but it's it's just this like little starburst, right? right? That moves outward. So when I say that like citrus has a woody quality, that's what I mean. That yeah. like even though Jersher's movement is down. Yeah. And what's significant about that is crap that's stuck in your middle, right? Yeah. At the diaphragm, in the chest, epigastric. The way to get that out of a patient is not out of their mouth. Right. Like you're not like if stuff is stuck in the middle, we're not going to try to encourage that to come out of their throat. Right. Belching or vomiting. I mean, okay, there could be extreme circumstances where purgation through vomiting is necessary, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about more conventional things. So if stuff is stuck in the middle, she is stuck. This sort of ephemeral, intensely important yang quality of all living things is stuck. Right. We have to disperse that. Chaihu and Jersher come along to do that dispersive quality, but the direction that that stuckness has to go is down. Right. And that is, I think, where we can make the distinction. So we use something like Chaihu, we use something like Jersher, Jersher that yeah. both have these woody movements to them, this sort of starburst explosion, but it's still focused downward. Yeah. And another point of distinction, like we hear hands and feet cold, right, with Sinisan. But really, like, the blockage of the chi oh. isn't in the hands. No, it's way before that. It's, it's in, it's, like, interior. Yeah. That's where the blockage is. Yeah. So we're not trying to, like, we're not really trying to move chi out to the extremity. 
we're trying to get it unstuck in the interior. And then it'll just go where it and needs to go. And then it'll just go where it needs to go. With Xiao Chai Hutong, it's not necessarily like that. Mm-hmm. Because you can have a stuckness in any of those hollow spaces. It can be anywhere around the body. Like there's there's case studies of doctors who used um, Chai Hu Gui Zhang Tong, for example, which is a version of Xiao Chai Hutong that's been modified for um, bone spurs in the spine because the way that the, the, the thought was, well, the spur is articulating into one of the hollow spaces. So mm. the way that we're going to treat that is by treating the, um, we're going to clear the hollow spaces. And Man, that's you know, crafty. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. That's a real like crafty that. way to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this, the reason I wanted to point that out is because like the terms that we're using here, the flavors, the directions, the phases, you and I both find that really helpful ways to think about stuff. The stuff I would argue that it is, in fact, one of the simpler ways to get your head out of the vending machine model of herbs yeah. and into understanding how your formula is really functioning. Right. But I will again admit that on its at first blanche, it might seem a little overwhelming. Right. Sure. I thought they were talking about outward, but now they're talking about downward. And then there was this thing, and I, it was up, but now it's down, and hot and then there was wood and wood had a direction and you know it can seem like it's a little overwhelming and i get that what i'll say is i think it's just important to continue to listen to talks like this one and talks by other people who work in this space and again not everyone like like travis said a second ago like the chai hu in particular is a very debated herb like yeah exactly what its flavor is exactly what its movement is there's a lot of very smart people, people with a lot of clinical experience and, and history and academic training who might think about Chai Hu in an entirely different way, right? And, you know, for better or for worse, we can't, um, no one is right, right? You're never going to come down to a position <laughs> where it's like, this is empirically what Chai Hu does, yeah. right? We can only rely on our clinical experience and our, our clinical theory and apply those two things together in practice with patients and then see what it looks like on the ground, right? And there's gonna be some variation without doubt. But whether or not you think that chai hu is acrid or you think that it's bitter, by the way, it's probably not sweet. So if you're coming up, if you're coming up with that, you might actually be wrong, right? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say you might be wrong on that. Um, but my point being is that there is a space for reasonable people to disagree of course. and still be able to to use the herb and even understand the herb in a really effective way. Yeah. I wanna I wanna touch a little bit on the mechanism of Chai Hu, like in terms of how it moves in the body. We've talked about this rise mm-hmm. and then this fall. I wanna talk about something that I think is particularly applicable to Chai Hu, but not just Chai Hu, which is that we talk about herbs that move things, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, eat this herb move chi, move blood. Right. And I don't know that a lot of people have had the occasion or the opportunity to really think about what that means, right? Like, sure. what does it mean to like, so I eat chai hu and it moves some chi, yeah. right? How? How does it do that? And I don't mean biomechanically. Right. I mean sort of conceptually, like how does it do that? And I think in this case, it's helpful to consider as always, the yin-yang aspect of what's going on here, right? If you want to move something, if you want to create the chi to move something, 
you're going to need some substantive fuel to convert into the ephemeral mm. nature that is chi, right? One of my favorite things that one of our teachers said, you know, in his lectures, one of his many funny lectures, is that human beings are a million parts yin and one part yang, <laughs> right? And everyone sort of thinks because you see the Taiji symbol and you just think like, oh, they're in equal proportion. Like, no way, man. Like, we live in a material substantive world. Like, the vast majority of everything that you interact with is yin stuff, right? Because you need a lot of yin stuff in order to facilitate yang. Like you just don't need that much yang. It's a very potent item. So if you want to introduce yang into the system through herbs, you're going to have to convert some yin stuff into yang to facilitate that movement, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly how that happens and what degree, like this is where you can get messy, right? Because you're like, well, if I took 10 grams of chai hu, that generates uh, five imaginary units of yang, like, right. no, man. And, yeah. and, and it used up 100 units of yin, like, no, man, you're getting way too empirical about this, right? This is a conceptual idea. But it's a useful one because we've all, I think, um, you and I have certainly experienced, and a lot of people have heard, and some people listening may have experienced themselves, that Chaihu family formulas and formulas that contain Chaihu can sometimes act weird in certain people's bodies. Sure. So, for example, Shia San, which we haven't talked a lot about, but right. everyone's favorite, yep. are you dealing with stress, take some Shia San. Right. right. And then the patient will take the Shia San and they'll feel like agitated and anxious. Right. Right. And you're like, wait a minute. That's not how that's supposed to work. Like it's supposed <laughs> to do supposed to do the opposite. It's like all of a sudden they're anxious and they're having terrible poops. And you're right. like, wait, it's supposed to do the opposite of that. Like what's going on? It could be. I mean, there are several reasons why that could happen. But it could also be that the action of Shayasan in particular to convert some yin stuff into yang stuff to move chi and circulate it, right? To relieve the constraint where the liver is overacting on the spleen, to do that mechanism of process, that there actually wasn't a good stock of yin stuff in that patient's body. And the formula that you gave them converted a limited supply, maybe we'll call it a deficient supply of yin into yang to relieve the constraint. And instead what you did was let loose a bunch of errant yang in the body and the same con feelings of constraint that showed up as, say, anxiety and irritability are now just turned up, right? Right. And so you're sitting there looking at it going like, oh, crap, like, I don't understand. This pattern on its face should be well served yeah. by a Sinisan uh, modification like Shayo-san. And it, and it didn't work. Right. Right. There are... There are potential reasons for that and a lot of them have to do with yin stuff right so let's talk a little bit about that transition from sinisan yeah. into a formula like shayosan i think a lot of people may not actually know that shayosan is a is a derivative formula from uh, sinisan, from sinisan right? as is like chaihu shugansan as right? is chaihu shugansan exactly which we've talked about before so sin so shayosan in particular we know we hear the famous phrase wood overacting earth yeah right liver overworking spleen maybe less commonly heard unless you're a person who studies classical stuff is gallbladder uh over control over stomach stomach right well wood overacting on earth we just take that idea and like 
this most common diagnosis in Chinese medicine school, right? Yeah. You go into the clinic. Wood uh, overacting, yeah. It's wood overacting on earth. That's what it is. So common, we just shorten it to wood overacting. Yeah, wood overacting. Who knows? Uh, just whatever. <laughs> wood overacting earth, man. Wood overacting. But if you look at formulas, I, I mean, there are so many formulas that treat wood overacting on earth. As we just discussed, Xiaoyao Gan Tang treats wood overacting on earth. Sinisan treats wood overacting on earth. Uh, Guajir Tang arguably treats wood overacting on earth. Xiao Jianzhong Tang, a derivative of Guajir Tang, treats wood overacting on earth. Xiaoyao San treats wood overacting on earth. There's so many formulas that treat wood overacting on earth, it's crazy. So to figure out how it can actually apply to a patient, to the, to the patient in front of us, we have to know more than just wood overacting on earth. Wood overacting on earth actually doesn't tell us very much other than a basic, very broad dynamic that's taking place. Right. Yeah. So um, tr transitioning from Sinisan into a formula like Xiaoyao-san um, and you're going to know more about this than me because you use Shaoyasan way more than I have. Um, but uh, my understanding of the pattern is that we're moving from, firstly, a six conformation point of view into a Zangfu organ diagnostic model mm -hmm. where we're focusing more on liver qi movement as opposed to Shaoyang constraint uh, Shaoyang ministerial fire flaring. We're sort of not using that model to approach the pattern differentiation. We're using a different model. And to articulate the movement of liver qi, we often combine herbs like um, chai hu and dangwe together or yeah. different things like this. So maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I want to say first that shayasan is incredibly commonly produced or prescribed, excuse me, sometimes to the point that I'm like, oh my God, really? Shayasan again? Yeah. Um, but also I will say that a lot of people deal with a complex wood overacting pattern that is more specifically a liver chi overacting spleen pattern, right? Which looks particularly like emotionally induced, induced digestive disorder. Right. Now, the thing that's key about this, in my opinion, is that because a person is stressed or irritable in and of itself, does not necessarily mean shayasan is the no. formula to use, right? Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why someone might be stressed or irritable, even if it's a liver chi constraint problem, which is the the other way that you'll see this, right? If people don't mention wood overacting, they'll be like, oh, yeah, she's just got a lot of liver chi constraint. Right. I'm like, okay, yeah, fine, but that still doesn't mean that shayasan is the thing to do. The thing about shayasan for me is you need to have this the weak spleen symptoms, right? Yeah. So if you have a person who's just irritable, Right, but they don't have any digestive disorder that goes along with it, right? Which I will say is is not that common. Right, like a, a lot of people <laughs> usually have both, right? But if you don't have, and and here's the other thing: not only are you having a weak spleen problem, but in my experience in the clinic, it is it is a damp spleen with loose stool mm -hmm. is the is the key indicators in my mind for shiasan, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can be irritable with dry, hard constipation. Right. And I don't think Shio sounds a good mix for that. Right. Right. But what is more often the case, at least what we, what I see in my practice is a person who um, probably constitutionally is a worrier. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's actually part of my differential. I'll ask people like, would you describe yourself as a worrier? Yeah. Right. Because it's a little hard to suss out 
a person's stress and anxiety because you know like a lot of people have stress but they don't feel it a lot of people sure. are easily stressed about things that that are sure. relatively minor some people don't have any manifestations of stress but they actually are ruminating in their mind all the time yeah so i really like the question are you a worrier yeah because if you are a worrier you will immediately say yes yes yeah. If you're not really one, you'll be like, well, I mean, sometimes I already know. And it doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. <laughs> I already know the answer, which is not really. Okay. Because people who worry know it and they'll say it immediately. Right. So if you have a worrier type presentation, usually also happens to go along with difficulty sleeping because people will be ruminating sure. a lot. Right. And then on top of that, when their worry goes up, they end up with, uh, you know, what's commonly described as sort of butterflies in the stomach. It could be anything sort of like indigestion, nausea, a little bit grumbling, gas and bloating, belching, sure. any of that kind of stuff. And then usually boostool. Right. Right. Or I think it's also still possible to use shiosan if you have some alternation in the stool. So it's mm -hmm. loose and then it's constipated, it's loose mm -hmm. and it's constipated. But as we have mentioned, that might also then mean shao <laughs> chayutan might be a more appropriate mm -hmm. thing to pull in there. But anyway... You've got this liver chi constraint problem, you've got this worry, anxiety, emotional presentation, and you have a loose stool component. Right. Now, Shiyosan makes sense. Why? Well, Shiyosan, as we mentioned, is a derivative of Sinisan, but importantly, it has Baiju and Fuling in it. Right. Right. And Baiju and Fuling, Baiju in particular, is a great, great herb for wet, weak spleens. Yes. Right? It's low grade drying, not in an overly intense way. And if you chow the baiju, right, which is often the way that it shows up in Shiyosan, chow baiju, you're not going to be encouraging a very fast peristalsis, right? By mm -hmm. chowing the baiju, you're pulling some of that kind of bright essential oil out of the product, and so it just doesn't move the intestines quite as heavily. Right. And then you combine that with fooling, which, of course, promotes the spleen and drains the dampness. So, like, the two of those things together are key components for the digestive aspect of liver cheese stagnation. If you don't have a digestive aspect, you need to be looking at another formula. Right. But as we all know, that doesn't stop people from just slinging shot. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Oh, no problem. And yeah. then, of course, let's not forget that, you know, Jiawei Shiyosan, mm -hmm. which has Mudan Pi and Jertsa added into the mix as well, is another really remarkable modification for this warrior type emotional pattern, a digestive outcome, again, still often loose stool. But with heat signs, yeah. right? So maybe there's even some like burning or pain of defecation. Sure. Maybe when irritability strikes, there's redness in the face. Maybe there's some skin skin presentation that can even look like some heat going on. A lot of the decision I'll make to use a Jiawei Shiyosan versus a regular Shiyosan has a lot to do with the person's constitution. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at someone who is kind of ruddy and a little sweaty and a little bit you know kind of grease on the face and like they're short tempered and that it, it's not worry now it's irritability there's a clear heat component that right. like rises up through the body now adding uh, those extra two heat yeah. clears and mudan pee and jertsa are great components to weave into that formula right yeah so let's say we have all the irritability symptoms or let's say the stress emotional symptoms the things that people call liver cheese stagnation but we don't have any digestive problem mm -hmm. right again not all that common but it does happen right well now we're pulling back to sinisan right? right at the core level and saying like well perhaps all we need is sinisan maybe a single herb increase in there so sinisan plus dangwe which is almost a shiosan but not quite 
right? Yeah. Is now moving you along that way. Certainly adjacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the Sinisan, the basic Sinisan pattern can be um, really, it can be really useful to see or to use in the context of, um, we were mentioning men's health earlier. Mm-hmm. Let's take some salt palmetto for yeah. her, whatever. Sinisan <laughs> yeah. uh, is like a golden formula for men's health especially prostate issues, mm-hmm. erectile dysfunction, um, problems with urination, any kind of urogenital issue, it's wise to consider Sinisan. It may not be Sinisan, but it's a good one to consider. Yeah. Sinisan is my favorite traveler's constipation formula. So I find that if you use something like Dachaihutong, it's a little too strong. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you use Sinisan, you, you know, dad gets constipated on the road every time he travels he'll come up with some sinisan the first couple of days while he's traveling and it's usually knocks it right out Mm -hmm. so um there's a lot of really good ways to utilize the sinisan structure and also to pair in different formulas um with it like uh if you add in guajer like in the lines it says if there could be palpitations then you add in guajer and you have Absolutely. Xiaoya, or you have Guizhou Gansao Tong in there. No. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, you can and you can even pull in more contemporary herbs like, like Danshan that we don't yeah. see a lot of mention for in, mm-hmm. in classical texts, but Danshan's an amazing herb to deal with things that are affecting the heart and the blood, yeah. right? And it's not uncommon for people with prolonged constraint to have cardiovascular issues from an anatomical point of view and then even just like heart chi constraint and and that sort of um, tightness that mm-hmm. comes in the upper jaw. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so obviously, you know, these are just two subfamilies in the Chaihu world. There yeah. are other types of families that could exist. And as we, as any time we spend time talking about herbs for any length of time, it's easy to see how obviously formulas get linked up with other formulas, components of formulas get pulled into formulas. And that's of course where it can start to seem intimidating to people. I think, the, the goal of today, of course, is to just introduce these broad concepts and to start small, right? So we're thinking of Chaihu as a group of formulas, subfamilies of Chaihu Tang and Sinisan, mm-hmm. where Chaihu Tang is the world in which we deal with Xiaoyang symptomology mm-hmm. that we've clearly described as this alternation as a key factor, along with some specific items from the classical texts. Versus Sinisan, which is not an alternating symptomology, not a, not a pivot problem, but an internal constraint, mm-hmm. like a, a tightness of the movement of qi. We often think about that in the middle of the body, right? right? Um, and therefore, the release of that allows qi to move in the directions that it needs to, which facilitates the warming of hands and feet. Right. Right. And then modifications to Sinisan or I guess iterations of Sinisan, bring us to the real classic formula, Shaiyasan, which is highly effective for dealing with that internal constraint, but in my opinion should be reserved for the secondary presence of digestive problems, specifically of the sort of weak, damp spleen variety. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. One other question that I have, do you ever use Sinisan? Do you ever imagine using Sinisan with people who don't have cold hands or feet? Or do they always oh, have yeah. Yeah, no, I'll use it. So um, I'll use Sinisan. Generally, there's something happening in the hands. Like some people, um, so heavier 
bodied people mm-hmm. will tend to not have cold hands and feet, but will have sweaty hands and mm-hmm. feet all the time. Mm-hmm. And I look at that as a similar, like my interpretation is a similar, like, oh, that she's stuck in the middle. It's not articulating outward and it's not controlling, facilitating the clean movement of opening and closing on the periphery. So like that could be a Siniswan, the Sinisan plus Archentong or Sinisan plus Pingwei-san or something mm-hmm. like that. Sinisan Pingwei-san is a great combo. Yeah, that's Should a have whole talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so I, I, the reason I asked that is because I don't want people to think like because it's called frigid extremities powder that I have to use it for frigid extremities. Also, right. by the way, you know, many of you out there are using granules. So, of course, if you're using granules, that's the world that you're in. But if you have access to a bulk pharmacy... And you can build Sinisan as a sun. As a sun. Oh as my a sun, right? So, like, you actually grind it up and you dose it. You know, like, the range is pretty pretty variable in terms of, like, how much dose a person would take at a time. But I usually dose it at, like, 12 grams, 12 or 16 grams of, of bulk sun, right? So it's ground into a, a relatively coarse powder, put into, like, there's a couple of ways you can do it. I think the most effective way to do it is put into a pot say 16 grams, two tablespoons-ish. Yep. Again, quick reminder, there's no concrete relationship between weight and volume. So when mm-hmm. you hear me say 16 grams, maybe two tablespoons, please do not assume that one tablespoon weighs eight grams. Right. Right. Just empirically. That's probably not true. I'm giving you a rough estimation on how we do it here. So you put 16 grams into a pot with 12 ounces of water and bring it to a boil, drop it to a simmer and cook it for five minutes and strain it. Yeah. That's what I like the best. Yeah. If you can't boil it, boil some water like it's still boiling pour it from the kettle into a mug with your herbs and let that sucker steep for a good 10 minutes right and then strain it and drink it right on the subject of drinking the dregs or not by all means feel free to drink the dregs i think it's gross like the powder that's in the bottom like it's just gross it's like it's gritty and it's unpleasant yeah but like if you're like i'm gonna get all those herbs like by all means it's not entirely clear what the intention was with drinking the, the powder or not from, from history and time. Did they drink the powder? Did they not drink the powder? I don't know. I don't know that anyone knows exactly. Um, so personal preference there. But I think if you boil for a couple of minutes or strain or steep and strain, I think you're going to get the, the key effect. It's important, I think, to note that Sinisan, as a formula, moving she constraint by its nature, works in a more yang space. Yeah. And therefore, sans which yeah. are not long cooked, they're not deeply cooked, extract the yang aspect, the more ephemeral aspect of an herb. Yes. Right? The pattern that is created and woven from that kind of preparation is more yang in nature. Yeah. And so it worked. it's a nice synergy. Right? right. Whereas if you had some like intense, sticky yin formula, probably not going to just like grind it into a powder and, and cook it for five minutes. Like it's probably not going right. to be enough. Right? right. Which is why we don't see a lot of yin tonifying sans, sans. yeah right? yeah so if you're out there thinking like why is there san wan tang like all the variations like there's a reason it's not random right um but that said most people in the modern clinic are using it in granules so it's a bit of a moot point but if you do have access to a bulk pharmacy or have an account with a pharmacy like root and branches pharmacy in fact root and branch pharmacy.com hey um you could order some san and give it a try and do a side by side do a granule do a bulk decoction and do a sun. 
and just yeah. experience that in your body. And just to give you guys a little sneak peek of what you're likely to expect, all of our experiences with San in the past, when it's a San, when it's a pattern that needs a San, the San is the most potent, more than a Tang, more than a granule. It's the most potent and it's the cheapest. It's the most cost effective way to take herbs, period. Way more cost effective than granules, even. Absolutely. And absolutely more effective, like unbelievably so. Um, so, anyway, yeah, I just, just put that in your calculus. Because, like, you know, it's true. Like, granules are increasingly expensive, bulk herbs are incredibly expensive right now. San gives you a way to use less physical herb at a time, which is why it's cheaper, right? But you're getting the advantage of super high quality, potent herbs that were ground right at the point of use, right? So that's really the that's really the rub. All right. Well, I think that I think that takes us to the end of this um, this little dive into Chayu family formulas. Um, as always, you can reach us at uh, rootandbranchpharmacy.com for information on creating an account and building Chinese formulas for yourself. Those accounts are open to any licensed Chinese medicine practitioner anywhere in the world and also to students of Chinese medicine. So if you are in school and you would like to write an, you know, build an account with us so that you can write formulas and use yourself as a little bit of an experimental space, I think that's not a bad idea. Um, and so you can make an account there. And of course, if you're looking for a clinical intervention, if you're a patient or you're interested in getting treatment with herbs, um, I would recommend finding a local practitioner in your area who emphasizes in herbs. It's always effective to have someone who can look at you and touch your body and do an abdominal exam if necessary. But if that's not available in your area, you can find us at rootandbranchpdx.com. That's all spelled out, rootandbranchpdx.com. And you can even sign up for telemedicine there and we can do some remote work, right? So always best to find someone in your area first if you can, but if you can't and you're looking for help, give us a uh, check us out online, rootandbranchpdx.com. And we will catch you guys next time. This is Travis Kern. And Travis Cunningham. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.